Hey legends, welcome back to Punching Sideways. Today is part one of a two-part interview that we were lucky enough to do with local musician and bass guitar legend Adam Picker. So some of you may know bits and pieces of Adam's story, which is a really wide-ranging journey. And I was personally only aware of some of the things that Adam's done in his music career and some of the challenges that he's managed to face and overcome and also some that he continues to face. So today we focus mostly on Adam's early introduction to the bass, to being in bands. There's some great local band stories mixed in today's episode. And then we also talk about one of his big original music achievements and projects, which was Neon City. Everything can be found over at punchingsideways.com or check the show notes where you're listening and we'll link up all the things. Righto, let's jump in. My thing is I can't actually do anything, but I can run through the analytics and tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. I just... What, with, would, music, with music? With, uh, just in general, I te- tend to go through the, the brain hoops and if I'm applying something, I'm like, right, I can tell what you're going with that, that, that. Music, actually, I'm not a musician at all, but I can hear and see now what people Have you are. had a try? Have you... You would have, for sure. Not really. Was, what stopped you doing that? What stopped me? Yeah. Time. Yep. Time and now that I know and have been in the world more, the respect to the level of the time that is involved to be yeah. good, Yeah. I don't think I have that. But you, as, only, you only have to be as good as what you want to be. There's no expectation of being, you know, you don't have to say, I need to be at this level. You've got to start, got to start somewhere. This guy could teach you because he, he thinks he's a shit absolutely teacher. Absolutely not. <laughs> There's no way that I'm getting Josh to teach me to do anything musician. I sort of like to when I'm doing all the, like the music stuff that I'm I don't have a personal vested interest in being on stage in that capacity and I think people actually trust that I don't have an agenda either because of that reason. I'm just there to try and help facilitate versus get myself on stage. So do you reckon there's an expectation of musos around here that if you started to play, you'd want to be invested interest for you to get up and play and – like no, I'm thinking, I don't think so now. Yeah, but I think it has. Early on, uh, yeah, I'd say, yeah, maybe they might like me to get up there. Maybe one day. Maybe you don't even know. I could be doing all this underground practicing, and then just pop up on stage and be come out like Van un- Halen. Unreal. <laughs> Where did she come from? I do have little like (laughs) internal things like that that I like to work on projects and then just be like fucking bah. But um, yeah, music's not one of them right now. (laughs) I was practicing behind the scenes to try and get back to somewhat of a level compared to my old version of myself, and I pretty much made public recently by going back to guitar lessons that I was struggling to get back there. But it's got me super excited about playing guitar. You know, it's funny you say that, mate, and the reason why it kind of – what you said about I've got to get back to the standard that I was before I'm valued or before I see myself as valued. Now, you guys know that I had the brain tumours and and all that sort of stuff and 
for years I couldn't play bass. You know, over the past 10 years there was a number of years where I was unable to play. And previous to that I was doing a lot of study, a lot of practising, four or five hours, and I was set to do a certain path for myself that I wanted. And then it just stopped. And now I'm in a situation where if I go back to tapes and all the rehearsing that I did in 2006, 2007, I'm a quarter of the player that I am oh, now. Like I was so, so, so much better. And then there was a realisation, and that's why I asked the question, because the love of music is more than the desire to be at the top of the tree. And for me it was like, okay, have an expectation of where you want to be standard-wise and that's okay, and because my my capacity for my brain doesn't allow me to do certain things anymore. Okay. So I just had to accept the fact that I wasn't where I want to be, but I'm okay with that today because of the circumstances. And I, like we've known each other for a long, long time, and I've always known that you drive so hard to be a musician and want to play and be that, and you know that's stressful. So I let all that go and then yep. I enjoy it more now and I'm I'm a decent player, but I'm not where I would want to be if none of this stuff happened. Well, we won't dwell on it too much, but I've <laughs> had multiple phases where I was that was my whole life and then a period where I thought maybe it wasn't going to be and then a couple of years recently where I wasn't really too concerned if it wasn't. But I, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I had to let go of the fact that when I was practising – multiple hours a day yeah and i was writing i was an, writing in an epic clip yeah i was just churning out riffs yep and i might not ever actually allow that space in my life either for that to become what it was yep. but i've only recently just realized oh, i can still really enjoy this even if i'm not the player technically that i used to be because you can get very much in technical brain because i can't play technically like i was yeah i'd kind of convinced myself that that meant that i can't write a song anymore I can't do the other stuff anymore. Like I, w- I won't be as respected, so maybe I should just leave that in the past. Yeah, it's confusing and it's hard. Obviously, it's not anything like what you've been through. No, no, it is. See, I, I don't believe that one's challenges and upheavals in life are, are any more dramatic or important than anyone else's. So what I mean by that is if I go through my challenges of cancer, brain tumours and that, a guy could break his toe and believe that it it's that dramatic like what and I don't judge a person on that so your experiences and everything that you've gone through is just no less or no greater than mine and it's how we mentalize it I guess for the word and deal with it and that's the challenge that I've had to face for you know a good well this has been 10 years since 2013 so yeah and it's the enjoyment of playing music. I spend more time in my studio at home playing that no one hears me doing stuff. (laughs) I want to close the circle on, you did say that whatever it was we were talking about spurred you to ask Mel the question. Like specifically, is it that you know that the journey can be worthwhile even if you don't become a great player? Is that what that means? Absolutely. We all, you know, as musicians, when we're kids, we want to be in the biggest rock band and we want to tour Australia, tour the world and do this and all that. And that's exactly right. It's okay to go, I can sit at home if I have 
15 minutes and play the guitar with no expectation but just the enjoyment. And if that's the thought process, then really good things come from that because when you are hell-bent on being the best, sometimes you lose who you are. And I don't think you can do that in music. I think it's it's a, a soulful thing. So, yeah. I just want to – I know that Josh thinks that he's closed the circle, but he absolutely hasn't because <laughs> – We can talk about anything. I um, – your little reference then to the broken toe yeah. actually just reiterates something that I tend to channel quite a lot is that everyone's journey up to one point has been different. doesn't mean matter whether you have the same parents, they've theoretically been – brought up the same, your influences and everything are very different. And you and I right now could right side by side, fall over and break our wrist in the exact same way. And the way that you and I both respond to that could be completely different because of Absolutely. the lead up to that point. And I tend to reflect a lot because every everyone's way they deal with something is relative to what, what has happened Absolutely. to them. And it could be the worst thing in the world to break your toe if you're one person but for say for instance you you're just like oh, i'm got a broken toe i'll just hop on my other leg because that's nothing in in perspective to your journey exactly and i don't you know people talk to me about you know things we talk about oh and then they they look at me and go oh and they say all wonderful beautiful things and i haven't had your journey in this but you kind of have because that's your journey and your upheavals and your challenges are no greater than what I have to do or no less than what I have to get through. They're just different. And I agree completely with, with that analogy and I just don't put anyone down if, you know, I don't – yeah, it's just not worth it. I think it's the, the ability to be able to, like, step back out of yourself and look yeah. at – someone else's perspective of things and not necessarily like you can still I'm not saying I'm not a judgmental person I'm very judgy but I always will snapshot judge yeah and then step back and go okay what has led that person to that behavior or what has and there's always so much below that superficial surface that I, I've, I've done that I used to judge not judge out but go oh yeah and then I think that what changes the situation is circumstances that change your life dramatically, you know. Yeah. And then through my experiences, I, I, I do what you do without judging first and step back and go, what, what, what's happening here? And you become more of a, a leveled person on so many levels. So that's fascinating and I'm going to bookmark that in my brain and come back to that because yeah, you're talking about a big incident in your life, an inciting kind of incident that created maybe a new person or a new version of you. But can, can we go back maybe to- Wherever you want, mate. To the, the start of, I, th I think some people might be familiar with you from your different musical yep. careers that you've had and you've had many. Yep. But I think Mel and I both mentioned earlier, we just wanted to know- where did this start for you? If I was going to basically, Adam Picker is like an enigma slash nursery rhyme that I didn't even know was real or not real. So, uh, Mel was just, standing at the door like, is this guy going to- I don't even know. Is this, is this like just- Am I messaging a bot? Yeah, I don't know. So, 
I've been very fandom like the last two and a half, three years, yes. So, <laughs> yeah, let's who, – who were you? Yeah, I, well, look, I – I do you want me to go back to where yeah, I started? Yeah, who, so, who were you? That's the best. I question. I was a real cheeky kid, um, not naughty or anything like that, but just loved life, cheeky, a lot of fun. Anyway, long story short, I, I um got into high school, and you guys might, I, Josh, you might know um, Jamie Payette, Jaff. I know the name. Yeah, yep. so Jaff was. Our families were very, very, very close, and. I was about uh, about 13, 14, and, and the school Catholic college started a musical, and it was called um, Music, Music, Music. And Jamie just said Great to me- Great name. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, was a, it was a 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, because 90s wasn't around. Then. Oh, <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> we'll edit that bit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so it started- there and Jamie just said, "Look, we're doing fifties. I need a bass player, and I'll teach you how to play a twelve-bar blues." So he sat down in in his home. You know, Mum would go around and see Maurice, and and he would teach me for three or four months leading up to this musical experience of playing a twelve-bar blues. The boom, 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 boom. Changed yeah. to the four, <laughs> and it was so basic. But I was never a natural. I, I and still to I I I don't have. Any natural ability at all. All I did was work really, really hard. So anyway, we we went into the practice rooms and that, and then we did this musical, and it just started from there. Jamie, we got a band, and uh, got Dom Alessi on guitar and um, Andrew Marotta on drums, and I was only fourteen. Jamie was sixteen, and we started, and we started playing, and. Very, very lucky that my father and Tony, again, good family friends, Tony Alessi were business people in Aubrey Wodonga, and they had us working straight away. So I was never a bass player that sat at home thinking, boom, this is boring. I was playing in, you know, the, the Aubrey Country Golf Club and these gigs is a, the, and, and Morty's down on the <laughs> Dean Street. And, uh, yeah. And so I was lucky. So I was playing gigs, you know, and um, it just took off from there. And just it was, it was a lot of hard work. I'm not sure how much you've listened to the show, but we do tend to follow our curiosities. And one thing you said in there was natural talent. Yeah. What were you seeing in? Because you mentioned a couple of people in there yep. that um, I recall yep. being yep. monster players the yep. whole time I can remember them. Yep. What was it that you were seeing in them that you didn't feel you had when it come to a natural aptitude? Was it? I was always the worst in the band. Okay. I, I was always – early on – Was it was it their ear for being able to break down songs or what was it that you were uh, – Still to this day, my my ears are the weakest point of myself as a musician. Although we still had to – we didn't have the technology that we had today to learn songs, so we had to sit down and learn them, but it took me a long time. Um, what was – what? I didn't understand music. I I, yep. I didn't understand how a rhythm section worked. I didn't understand anything. And I was just so overwhelmed with Jamie and how brilliant he was. And he was a very, very close mate, you know, and all that family. I just listened to him. Yep. And that's, that's that was it. And then it progressed. And then I started learning a little bit more about things. And But you must have had some kind of determination there because – 
I know that I've met lots of musicians in my time that when yeah. they get in situations where they're overwhelmed by other people's talent, they yeah. feel like, why bother? Like, why am I here? So you must have had just an internal we drive were, of some kind. Yeah, we were family. The, the band was fam- like uh, my best mate's playing guitar, <laughs> my other best mate's playing guitar, yeah. and Andrew's doing what Andrew does. So we, we didn't feel that we had these different levels within us. Mm. So, But I, I've always been extremely determined to succeed. I've always had that nature in me to go and, and it's pressure and on myself I must must succeed. I must 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 must. And I just worked and worked whether it was sports, whether it was music, whatever it was, it was just I'm not going to fail. So it must have been validating to be out playing gigs then because you're getting some feedback. It was audiences and crowds. And- well, let's just say um, at 14 years of age, I learned how the world worked pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's some stories there that I, just blows my mind today that I, I look back on and go, jeez. Can, can you share, like as a 14-year-old, what was – like there would be a moment where you would have just gone – Yeah. Well, look, one Without thing, naming or shame. No, I won't name either. or shame, but my memory is – it's crystal clear. So I just remember so much. So I mentioned before Morty's. And back then, you'd go down the termo, uh, sorry, you go down the end of Dean Street and walk down to, you know, the gardens down there and you'd come across 15, 16 venues yeah. playing music. It was mm-hmm. just crazy. So much, so much, so much. So I played this gig. At Morty's, which was where the three-legged dog was. And okay. I was 14 years of age, probably in year eight. <laughs> so the, me- the memory's quite, quite – so we're up against the, you know, the, the, where the street was, so you're facing down that way. Morty's had a horseshoe bar. Yeah. And I'm playing and we're just doing some stuff and then I realise she's no longer in Albury. I was like, that's my primary school teacher, year six primary school teacher. <laughs> so I go, okay. And she walks in and I'm watching her and then she just goes down. This is a 14-year-old kid. She just goes down to the corner of the (laughs) the venue, starts making out with this person. (laughs) And I'm going, okay, this person is another female. Uh And I go, does that shit happen? (laughs) I'm going, what? What's going on here? (laughs) And then I just think, "Mm, okay, so – this is what happens. So that was one, you know, another one. It's crazy. I was at Corowa RSL and a couple is making out under a table and getting really <laughs> serious about it. And Tony, Tony, Alessi and Dad are just, you know, they're, they're guiding us through all this <laughs> and they're very mature men and that. And I'm just, oh, this is just, yeah, okay, so this is how the world works. So I've been, um, you know. Just at RSL. <laughs> So, <laughs> at that age, were you guys involved at all in doing the bookings and handling the money? Did they let you guys no, do that or they were no, handling that? Um, they were very serious. So, Dad and Tony did all that. Uh, yeah. We were too young yeah. and they looked after us and how serious they were. I remember, again, at Morty's, another show. See, my mates were working at Macca's for $3.50 an hour and I was playing <laughs> – I had to give up cricket and sport, which I absolutely loved because music was taking too much of a time. So we're playing at Morty's and all my buddies are, have gone out to the movies and, you know, it's just across the road. So I said to Don, come on, let's go down and see them. So we left the venue and it was oh. in between a break 
And we get back and we got scolded. We just, <laughs> Dad, uh, just, you know, t- not crazy, but you can't leave the venue. You are working for a wage. You are doing X, Y, and Z. You can't go down there. You must stay here and all this sort of stuff. So it was very controlled. But as soon as I turned 18, mate, I said, Dad, we're, we're done. We don't need you anymore. And <laughs> I can drive a car and see yeah, you yeah. later. So he started Did your bookings go in the tank then? No, <laughs> because, look, I, I, I'm a bit like, Dad, gift, you obviously know that I can talk. <laughs> so that's all I've been doing. Um, so I took I, – I was listening to Dad books, so I took up that and I took over that and I think that's where it ended up me being in most of the bands that I was playing, in a way, driving the ship with gigs and making things happen. But, yeah, we – we got rid of our parent, our fathers and mothers and all that by the time we were 18. So we're right. We can we can go to Finlay and have a great weekend down there and hang out with all the. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one in their life has ever said we will go to Finlay and have a great weekend in life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. Those some of those. This is even flow days with Dan and and Luke Klepiak and some of those. They're, 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 Crazy experiences. Blokes would uh, absolutely have a ball. They play footy, you know, that day, and that they would die for each other on on the ground, and they'd have the, a great win, and then they'd come to the Albion Hotel and have a great night at twelve thirty, one o'clock. You know, then they just start punching on, and you you go, "What are you guys doing?" And you know, you were, it was just wild, wild times. So Finley, Danny, Berrigan, all the all those venues. Oh, geez, yeah, we Stories. we played a gig you know. at the Yanko RSL, Yanko. which is which is between Griffith and Leeton, and yeah. it's a real hardcore rugby town. And the captain must have said something reasonably insulting, or tried to tell one of the big front rowers what to do. And we were, I don't know what song we were playing. We're up on this massive stage, thankfully, way above. It was like a pretty weird gig. The bigger of the guys grabbed the captain by the head Uh. and smashed him through a table. And then it was just an all-out brawl for about five minutes. And, and then, then they hugged and then they danced again. And then Because we thought the gig was over. Like, yeah. we're like, oh, well, these, no, there's no security here. These guys are bigger than the guards anyway. How is this ever going to get stopped? And then someone just yelled something. Uh-huh. One of the older, you know, statesmen of the club. And then there was just... Okay, we're not, we're remember, not fighting anymore. <laughs> I remember, Mel, um, we were kids, and you'll get this, and I think you will too. So Andrew Marotta and I, and we, we played a gig at Mitta. So we play the gig, and we're walking back down, and then there's all these footy guys, you boys, Talangata boys. Says, no, we're not from Talangata. We're, we're just going to, you know, yeah. and Andrew and I, are like, we're like 15, you know, <laughs> something like that. And they're asking us, uh, you Talangata boys, because we're going to get stuck into you. <laughs> and it was the same night that Dom and I are in this, uh, I wouldn't even call it a room, but <laughs> it was this place where we slept in and the, the the window was smashed and then there's this cow that's put the head through the window. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Dom and I go, like this, my brain, is just, it's, it's so many memories. It's yeah. just wonderful <laughs> stuff. So I get what you're saying, mate. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually really nice watching you two. <laughs> oh, I've got so much respect for Josh because I know. Oh, not because of Nah. That's yeah. taken. Yeah, don't ever no, say that. Don't. Josh would respect him. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Like, you've, <laughs> you've, you've ruined it. You've ruined it. <laughs> all right, I get was out getting here. all like nice and uh, happy feels. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to us here, <laughs> If you like us, like I like us. 
get onto punchingsideways.com, give us a bit of a likesy, have a bit of an exploration around and maybe buy us a coffee. What was the first original project that you're in? Because I'm assuming that was mostly covers in yeah, that era. Yeah, so, so uh, Bad Moves went into – I got Luke Klepiak and Dan Whiting and Dom was in there for a while and it moved into Even Flow, which then uh, Dan Famichi played. And then we um, we were doing that and we were pretty successful with all that, doing really well and Triple J, the first original thing, Triple J were coming to town on Earth, you know, the original – we put together some songs and it, it just as a group, I don't know, maybe the expectation of we have to be a certain way because this is what people have known us as a cover band and we found it difficult and that started the, the creative process but nothing really came from that. And then, then it was with Simon and Liam with Neon City yep. and that was – they're fantastic songwriters together. I, I will always stand by how creative they were and how well they worked together. And there was no secrets. We wanted to write commercial pop hits, and we did. But they um, they were great songwriters. Uh, so back then. we will definitely talk some Neon City in a sec. Yeah, yeah. Just to go back. So your yeah. first feeling around original music yeah. was it? Even though you're obviously, I mean, you're well respected yeah. through that time period, particularly for being a monster player. Yeah, you're. Were you feel? That. Were you feeling at all like, oh, going out and playing these songs is not the same as being able to create something of the same quality? Or was it you feeling like you needed to sound like the bands that you were into? No, like, what see, was it back then? Like, it. I, I had a personality within me that I was. When you're on stage, I was brilliant. I was the best. I doesn't matter what I was playing, but I kicked ass all the time. The band kicked ass, and we're ready to destroy people, and we want to. And we thought our stuff was brilliant, but at the end of the day, looking back on it, we struggled because it was pretty shit. So there was no ill feeling that oh, we. Oh, I know that we. When I said we have to write songs like this, we actually thought we were, okay. you know, but. The reality was is that I don't think it just gelled as an original band. And that, yeah. that, that happens. Yeah. Do well, it happens more often than not. Yeah. So, yeah. think that maybe because your pre-existing persona with cover bands was already there and people sort of liked the way that you guys performed that maybe no one actually said to you, hey, yeah, um, absolutely. Pull pull your head in, maybe do this, this. Like no one actually offered constructive criticism because I think that's a thing that people get afraid of doing is maybe hurting people's yeah. feelings oh, by actually trying to help them. There's a there's a bit of a balance, right? That you don't want to so, shatter that, someone. But that's right. Yeah. That's so much the case, but that's so much the case. And But back then it was we didn't want to take criticism because we knew that this was grunge, you know, this is, you know, you go in there and playing in a band is not, it's warfare and you're up there with your mates and you want to just demolish everything, you know, the audience, the other bands, you want to wipe the mental side of it was this is what I've grown up listening to and this is how these bands operated back in the 90s. Mm. They just wanted to just, it was that well, era. And Well, the first thing Nirvana did was ended the career of about 500 
hair metal bands as soon as Nevermind came out. Absolutely. And they were the poster child of Absolutely. a band that destroyed a genre. Absolutely. Almost, so yeah. so I I was, you know, growing up as a teen, you know, when it hit and there was no we had we liked the bands that we were playing for in town and all that and all that sort of stuff. And the musos were friends, but we wanted to destroy them. So when someone would come and say, oh, you know, you should do it's just like, why don't you just piss off? Because <laughs> we are the monsters. What, what got us is that we played at the um, Albion Hotel and it was a really sad day, a s- sad moment for, for the band. We went from the cover band and then we went to the Astor, sorry, as an original band because the Albion stopped. And we charged two bucks at the door to come and see our first original show, and it was packed. And the guy that was running the joint at the moment wanted to save a bit of money on PA, and the PA was no louder than my bass amp. So we go there, and it's just falling down, you know, and I'm just like, oh, the heart, all our hearts were ripped out. And I said to the boys, we've got to turn this around. So we ended up playing covers again and getting through with – what we did and that moment whether maybe the songs were okay but that moment at that gig just completely stopped everything mel brought up an awesome concept really before about the constructive criticism i don't think in my entire time in aubrey that other than maybe right now where there seems to be a particularly supportive community of people yeah, that absolutely. are all 100% behind each other yeah. i don't think that there was ever a culture of anything being seen as constructive if it was critical. I don't think anyone was open to it. I wasn't I don't I can't name a person. It didn't feel as though it was a scene where anyone could have any comment on your music without it being seen as negative. Yeah, I I agree and scenes different scenes have different demographics too. Like so I'm I'm thinking the guys that were 20 years older than us would have had a, our mentality now and it's okay to <laughs> pass on some you know, constructive criticism and stuff like that and they'll take it. But at our age, at that time, and those young kids, there was there was nothing there. We were a team and you're against us and that, that was it. I remember talking to a, a, a John Grattan who's, you know, he's, he's legendary around here and stuff like that. In, in the 70s, you know, there was warfare with the Aubrey bands and the Wodonga bands. They wouldn't, they wouldn't come together and have members – you're from Victoria, you know, they, they just wouldn't do it. And Saturday nights and it was just like, so I don't, and they were, you know, they were teenagers back then. So maybe it's got to do with being yeah, a teenager. We, we learned the lessons too late. <laughs> I think- um, Benjamin I, Button, got to go backwards. Maybe, I don't know. I keep very neutral to everyone. And maybe this is why me not actually being involved with anyone in like, or doing any music myself makes me have this- very naive mentality that I can just roll in and say things from a place of care. And most of the time it's received yep. fairly well. Like I, and I, I do not sugarcoat. Oh yeah, I do. Like I don't want to break, but like you don't, you time it. And I, what I'm sort of maybe leaning towards was that maybe that whole mentality was that one, you didn't want to receive it, but two, it wasn't delivered in a constructive way. It w- could that be part? I would of say it? so. I, yeah. I would say that it would have been delivered in a way to take your confidence, not help you be better. Yeah, it's hard to say because, to be honest, I I didn't have any muso around 
that that age coming to me and criticising the band. I think maybe they just thought there's I, no point. I, I, We're talking to Adam about it. No, well, well maybe yeah. you're already, and this yeah. is probably part of the problem, was you were already good before you maybe needed some, and you had, like you said, Tony and that yeah, said to yeah. you that time that you ran out. And that's a, yeah. a very good point of etiquette towards what you're doing and a lot of young people – that sounds very old saying that, but it is important to realise that you are working and that's what, and you are representing and this isn't a, just a, a fun roll-in, roll-out thing. Like there's a level of responsibility. So I think you got that lesson oh, pretty absolutely. early on. And, and that that's only being uh, magnified as I've moved on as a musician and moved into more professional situations that if I didn't have that upbringing and that mentality, I wouldn't be where I am because I'm not a – a gifted player, but what I am is reliable. I'm never going to let the person down. I'll have my shit together and I'll give 100%. Now, when you get to a certain level, it's not about the musicianship within that individual. It's about the personality and it's about their professionalism towards their job. So there's a billion better players, but sometimes I get the gigs because Adam's Adam and you know that what you're going to get. You make everyone else's life easier. You're a good, uh, you a good would like to th- There's yeah. people that don't enjoy my company. <laughs> you, you, mentioned, you mentioned one bit, and I just want to uh, double down on it before we progress, Yeah, that saving money on the sound and really just crushed you. Yeah. And I just want to highlight how important sound guys are to the industry because I think that they're often just – behind the scenes but to have a good sound guy versus a you know just the hack that doesn't care and it's just turning something on and off like even i can tell yeah. the difference in the level of conscientiousness and yep. actually it's so important whether you're well rehearsed or not to yep. have someone that is in tune and can make you sound better basically yeah absolutely i've never seen a show where i thought the sound was horrible, but I love the band. Yeah. Like, I yeah. can't remember. Nothing comes I, to I mind. think the respect comes from how the person goes about their own business and their own, you know, my father always used to say to me, your, your name is your business, you know, and if a sound guy rocks up and he's late and he's, you know, he's irritable and, and you, you kind of start, looking at him and going, you know, this is for across the board for any industry, any yeah. person. What are we going to get here? So when you come across people that are dedicated to their profession, whatever it is, that are committed to making a product better, the respect for that person is amplified. So, you know, if if a guy locally is running around and for two and a half hours trying to find a PA and there's an hour and a half before the gig, you kind of think uh, maybe I'm not going to work with them, but the professional people and at certain levels, you don't get you don't get a second chance. So they are at their peak and professional as anyone, but you are correct, you know, 100%. I've always said you're only as strong as your weakest link. And in a band, and that can be for any organisation, in a band, if it's your sound guy, it doesn't matter how good you play, it's going to sound really average. So it's, it's critical. So Neon City, 
2011-ish. I, yeah. I remember seeing you guys play a couple of gigs at yep. the Crown Lounge at yeah. Beer Deluxe. I think yep. it was already Beer Deluxe at that That's point. That's correct, yep. And you mentioned that you were trying to write pop. pure pop songs. Commercial like, pop. It, commercial yeah. pop yep. songs. Yep, and absolutely. And feel like you did achieve that and that's what they were as far as my ears were concerned and they were really great songs with some really great musicianship. How were those early conversations? Was everyone in complete agreement that we want to write this style of music? Well, you know, I how it's, that started um, was either Simon or Liam, I'm not sure. They got in touch with me. They were doing it. Simon in, McKenna and Liam yes, Dalby. Sorry, yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah. yeah. They were doing a, a little segment on, on one of the local radio stations and I listened to a song. I can't remember one of the, 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 the song called, but it's on the EP. I said, we're going to be on, we're going to be on. And I had a listen and then they contacted me and we spoke and I kind of gave them my thought process of the song and it got there, you know. So we started jamming around and, and they were the creative force behind that band. And then when Trav came on, and myself, we were free to, you know, add to that and write our parts and do all that. There was no, you know, that that underlying yuckness that happens in the original. It was open, and you guys were free to add as much colour and layers. Yeah, to that but stuff. there was an understanding uh, that that those guys wrote yeah. about seventy five, eighty percent. Yeah, you weren't writing seventies prog songs. N- no, no. Yeah. So it worked with that, and. Um, we kind of sort of said, all right, let's get a residency because we want to write an album and we want to uh, – financially, we need the money. So that's how that came out up there. And we played for a year for $5 entry and I think we we got about twelve or $13,000 in the bank. And then just before that, we recorded an EP with um, Ralph Carr, who was a 90s guy, it was a budget EP and it worked really well, but he put us in, in touch with um, Spider, Spid, uh, who was who's plays for Electric Mary now. So so Spid, Spid was, you know, the drummer on that album and he played gigs with us. He was in the band. And um, we then went off and went to Ricky Ray and it cost us a lot of money and we got a loan and we spent another 12, 13 grand on top of that and we were – we were serious, yeah. And that was for the first EP or the first album? Uh, that was the album that we recorded in 2013. And, you know, we uh, the the I think Runners Up of the Oz Music Rock, uh, one of the songs, we, you came Runners Up in Australia. And, mm. and then that's when all the shit happened with me, with the health and the, the things got sideways. Okay, Adam, and, yeah. feel free not to answer this. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I realised from watching you guys how integral yeah, you were to the sound. Yeah. But I guess a question that we've all had yep. was what role were you playing in the band beyond just being on stage that would mean that the band would have to stop in a way? Because I, ha- I when I moved to Melbourne yep. in 2013, yep. my band at the time, Candela Light, they did basically yep. just stop. Yep. Like was there a reason beyond you just they couldn't fulfil the bass role. Like I'm just no, trying- no, no. They did. They did. They got Brock Shirley. In oh, there. so they were playing after. Yeah, that yeah, point. for yeah. a period of time. Um, and it was, it was a situation where Brock came to rehearsals and I was showing him parts. So it's the first band that I ever got sacked out of because of my behaviour and how it was. Just I was hard to understand, and I would have done the same thing. So. On the other side of Adam, he's got this guy that's coming in that's going to take my role and all the passion and 
love that you put into the, 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 the arrangements of the songs and all that. And I was okay with that. And it went for a period of time, but uh, a short period of time. But elements change and, you know, bands, there's a uniqueness about Spid when I was, when I left, Spid left. And there was, and the other guys did a great job, but it was, there's a uniqueness. And I I had no context on that. So I really had no idea. Yeah. And no, because you did mention that you were quite often behind the scenes not only contributing creatively to things but also driving the business of different bands. And oh, lot- definitely. There, yeah. was a, there was a big portion of that, that, you know, guidance and and we spoke uh, essentially Liam, Simon and myself spoke quite openly about the direction and we all got along really, really well with that and it worked really well and we were on the, on the same page with it. So it was working really, really well. The band started in 210, so you've got to remember 210 to 213 – I had this tumour growing and little things were going on and it didn't go diagnosed. So all of a sudden, Adam's, you know, stuff happened and, it, yeah, it needed to fi- be finished for me and they finished and it, that was fine and we recorded a great album and we went on and, and the boys did, you know, a little handful of work but I just think it just and sort can- of- People that are listening to our podcast today, can they still hear this album? Yeah, anyway? they can. <laughs> it's funny because we we got off all socials media stuff, so Spotify, iTunes, all that. It closed down when the boys finished up. I call it the best album that no one's ever heard. Yeah, <laughs> and it is. You know, well, that's what I thought about my band's album. As well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So but even less people heard ours. But uh, yeah, you can go to Spotify and um, because. Liam put it out as under Liam's name. He, we couldn't create, you know, he said, sorry. I said, yeah, mate, I don't care. Yeah. It's a long time ago and it's great to be out there. And, yeah. you know, Liam Delby and it's Neon City and, uh, you know, you, you have to search Liam Delby because the yeah. Spotify doesn't give you the option. I don't. I, yeah, it's, it's hard to release the same master recordings under the same name yeah. at a different time. Yeah. yeah so well, it makes so, sense. Yeah, yeah. so uh, you can catch all that stuff on on spotify and yeah it was um yeah there was some good traction there um we yeah we were talking to some big managers in in australia and it was can i ask you just a question to wind this up i'm I'm going through it literally right at the moment yeah i talk a lot (laughs) when you were to listen to that album if you still do yeah have you reached a point where you can appreciate maybe what people loved about it at the time where and and hear less of the mistakes and things you wished you did differently? Because uh, I've only just reached that point with the Akandela Lie album yeah. that I can understand when people write, we put it out on Spotify and yep. Apple and everything yep. recently. Yeah, uh, One comment we had on one of the posts was a genuine comment from a guy who said this before and I didn't want to hear a bar of it. This is in my top five Australian albums ever. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And he meant it back then and he still means yep. it. All I could hear was the mistakes and the things I wish I did differently. Yeah. But I can listen to it now with fresher ears. Are you able to do that? <sighs> and that, that point probably comes to people at different I, times. I, I, love, I love all the songs. Um, I don't – there's no mistakes on that album. No. I, well, a mistake doesn't necessarily have to be a technical mistake. I just – I wish I wrote a better part for that. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So – no, for me, I'm 
100% happy. Have you always felt that way? Though? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I remember. Well, that must have been a good place to be. Yeah, yeah, we were, we were, we stayed in this um, hut with no electricity. Well, there's electricity, but no. The sun's coming up, and we're going to uh, you know Lighthouse, which was the studio recording, which the album was called. And I'm about to track my parts for the day, and Liam's song actually one of Liam's song. Lying to myself, we put one of Liam's songs he wrote completely himself on there yep and i had a bit of music and i'm thinking i want a little entry to melody line into this and i wrote it down on as music and i was i didn't know how to play it but i knew how to read it and play it and i was sitting with rick and he's looked at me i said you know recording's not a visual thing rick (laughs) so i'm playing this part reading it and that came up the night before and i think geez i'm lucky that i got that in there um i know it I, i guess it's the musician i'm we worked really hard and I worked really hard at all those parts and I put – so I, still today I'm really stoked with the individual performance of that sound of bass and those lines. Awesome. Yeah. 